the start of the 1 o'clock hour on the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. You can text in the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. I asked what the staples are at everyone's house, and we did get quite a few text messages. Truth Hurt says fried turkey only or smoked, but he'll never go back to traditional turkey. Can you get down with that, Wes, or do you cook it still traditionally? Yeah, still traditionally. You get the roasting bag. That's how you make sure that it's not dry. But I have yet to taste fried turkey. I'm, People swear by it. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to do that. I, I have not had that. And then smoke, you can't go wrong with that. No, you can't. Smoke, no, you can't. Smoke no. anything. The, the, the fried, I've actually, I've never had fried turkey. Everybody swears by it. Yeah, Anybody who's tried it, they're saying that's the only way that you can cook turkey from that point on. Uh, Chef Chad wrote in that he's uh, loving the show. We appreciate that, Chad. Also, staples at his house include turkey, collard greens, mac and cheese. Also, mm. keep up the great work. So that's all good. I Sausage need to ask some black eyed peas too. And the dinner rolls have to be well. Proper. Someone wrote in also. I'm trying to find the text message, but I did see someone wrote in that the uh, or no tweeted at us the Hawaiian rolls are there. The green bean casserole is yeah. one, mm-hmm. which I would like to normalize. Green bean casserole, that's by the way. That's good. I like that too. I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's only at Thanksgiving. It has also become synonymous with Thanksgiving as much as turkey has mm. almost. Wow. But I would like to normalize it. Yeah. I, I just want that take to be out there. Walker, fan of green bean casserole. <laughs> Somebody all, the, the Hawaiian rolls, though. I mean, those things are crazy. I like those, but I like uh, the more traditional, I guess, dinner rolls that you can get. There's, there's many different types. And I also like, too, when my mom's making the dressing when she takes the cornbread out and mm-hmm. then pulls it out of the pan to uh, to start to mix it, I like to get a good chunk of that cornbread and eat that while I wait. Yeah, my mom makes uh, the, the staple there. The, the unique staple is the ham and red pepper dressing, and that's mm, the really good wow. one. Yep. So that's the one that is a must-have. And we've experimented with different types of mac and cheese, some yeah. better than others, but we are always going to have some mac and cheese. 704-570-9610. That's where you can text us, share your thoughts, and tell us your Thanksgiving staples. Want to transition back to the Carolina Panthers. They are now in the second slot for the NFL draft because of the Raiders' win against the Denver Broncos. Carolina is going to be playing in their next game after this Baltimore loss. And the Panthers have eight losses on the season, three and eight, as the, uh, as the record stands now here, Wes. I, I, I look at the rest of the schedule mm-hmm. versus Denver on the road against Seattle, Pittsburgh, Detroit, a couple of winnable games, but... yes. I think you're seeing something very similar with the Hornets and the Panthers. And it's the fact right now that they can't win these close games. It comes down to the guys that you have. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a cliche. It's very simple. And you're right. Very simple take. But I think it's as simple as that sometimes. When you look at Washington, they have Bradley Beal. Kyle Kuzma has grown a lot in the NBA. They're able to hit shots down the stretch, and they're able to separate themselves. With Carolina going against these other football teams, when they're in a close game, oftentimes the other team just has the better quarterback. Yeah, That was true for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson did not have a huge day for them. Not on the ground, not through the air. No, Lamar no. Jackson was struggling. He was cold. Yeah, <laughs> that, that guy looked like he wanted to be yes. anywhere but a football I game. I said that yesterday <laughs> while I was watching. I said, Lamar's cold. <laughs> he was so... After he every was, play, those hands were going in that warmer. It had the jacket. Even if it was going to be for 30 seconds, he was going to wear the big jacket, and he, he wanted no part of the cold. Which I'm like, why didn't he wear some sleeves? I don't know. 
I mean, maybe the Vaseline thing. Yeah, maybe that's a toughness thing. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I saw but, guys but, wearing them. But here's where you lose your toughness card is where you are shaking, and then you have your hands, and you got your shoulders <laughs> bunched up. No, nah, you don't look – you just look cold. You don't yeah. look tough. You look dumb. Go ahead and put the sleeves on. Yeah, but Lamar well. Jackson didn't do it. Now, eventually they were able to win at the end, as we mentioned, the run game. But really, it comes down to the Kenyon Drake run. The turnovers, of course. Marcus Peters with a huge strip on Shai Smith, very Kelvin Benjamin-esque from a few years back. But we saw that turnover happen. Kenyon Drake goes for 30 yards, and it just goes to show you how slim the margin for error is with this Carolina Panthers team because Baker Mayfield can't throw downfield. I mean, at some point, I think he had maybe eight completions, and those eight completions went for 40 yards, which means you're getting five yards per completion, which actually seems like a lot if you were to watch. That's not exactly what I saw on the eye test, it seemed less than five yards per completion. Do you think that's him, or do you think that's the coaching staff? I think it's both. I think Baker, I think Ben McAdoo was scared to death to throw the ball yeah. downfield because Baker hasn't given him any evidence as to why they should. Now, P.J. Walker, that happened for him against the Rams, but then you try it out against Tampa. P.J. does give you evidence as to, hey, I can complete some passes downfield in tight coverage. I can make some of those throws. And so they open it up a little bit more. No, he's not Tom Brady. No, P.J. Walker isn't even Justin Herbert throwing the ball downfield. That's not what I'm saying. But there have been plays where P.J. can't attack. Baker's not attacking anything. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is they're scared to death, so they try to get LaVisca Chenault in motion, throw it to him at the line of scrimmage, and that screen game just ain't working. Deontay Foreman didn't have it. And Baker, the DJ Moore thing happens again. DJ Moore was targeted just as many times as Shai Smith. He was targeted less than Terrace Marshall. Ian Thomas, I believe, had one less target than DJ Moore. If you're DJ Moore, Wes, you do not want Baker Mayfield starting at QB, and it's been rough watching him play that position this entire season, much worse than anything he gave you even when the struggles were happening in Cleveland. Yeah, I think, though, that's why I posed that question to you because I do feel like this coaching staff is very conservative by nature. I'm not sure if they even had a quarterback they felt confident in that they would want to maybe test teams down the football field, but uh, especially with guys. That's the thing that trips me out sometimes about uh, coaching staff Listen, you're three and, and three and seven, three and eight. Why are you so worried to throw the ball down the field? Like, what is going to happen if you lose another game? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it kills me when they do that. I just, I just don't understand it. It's like to me, once you hit a certain point where you know your season is a wrap and you're not going to the postseason, you should be letting it all hang out. You should play carefree and play like you have house money. I know I hear every probably cliche in the book as far as playing like you have nothing to lose, but I don't understand why these coaches they do that. I'm like, listen, nobody's expecting the Panthers to go to the Super Bowl. You're not going to lose the number one seed today, so why wouldn't you go down the football field? Why wouldn't you be aggressive in what you want to do if you are indeed trying to win games? So that is what absolutely just perplexes me about, uh, you know, NFL coaches, coaches in general, in a lot of sports, where they just get so conservative, and there's nothing for the Panthers to lose, in my opinion. They should be aggressive. They should throw it down the field. I mean, you know, what's the worst... That could happen at this point. So, um, 
you know, because Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, strikes me as a guy that wants to be aggressive. You can't tell me with his personality from what we saw from him in college, what we saw from him in Cleveland, that he's a guy that doesn't want to get the football down the field. You have to at least try. I will say the NFL is different. It's very, very different, and I don't think you have seen him be successful doing that, and that's what Kevin Stefanski did. The best year of Baker Mayfield's NFL career came during a playoff appearance where he was behind an excellent offensive line, and so much of that was predicated off of the run and predicated off of play action, and it was working. And Baker had a very good touchdown-to-interception ratio. I think he had 30 touchdown passes. I think he finished, like, in the top 10 of QBR. And Baker, it's not like he was getting Odell Beckham Jr. a, a lot involved, and that's kind of translated to DJ Moore. It was a question I asked at the beginning of the season, and I thought maybe I was just stretching it to have it be a conversation, but it's absolutely come to be true that the number one receiver in these offenses that Baker plays in, they just don't get fed nearly as much. He likes the tight end, likes to throw to that position, and when Baker's in there, you see these tight ends get a little more involved. We did have a text come in, 704-570-9610. Big Cat Dan said, Baker wasn't that good, but the O-line wasn't given a lot of time either. Here's a stat I want to go to. If you compare P.J. Walker and Baker Mayfield in the starts they've had for the Carolina Panthers, Baker Mayfield panics in the pocket. Happy feet. I mean, as soon as that first read is not there, Wes, he panics like hell and is looking everywhere but downfield to throw, but he's looking in the pocket to escape. If you look at every start Baker has had for the Carolina Panthers, he's been sacked multiple times in every single one of those games. He's been sacked four times in three games, including Baltimore, what we just saw yesterday. P.J. Walker? has only been sacked multiple times in a start once, one time. And that was just twice against the Rams when their offensive game plan was as conservative as I've ever seen in the NFL. This is what people talk about when analytics and or people want to say sacks are a QB stat. They look at that right there. You want to tell me that the offensive line has been good every start for P.J. Walker and has just somehow coincidentally been bad every start for Baker? No. And it's not like P.J. Walker, by the way, is running the football. It's something I've actually been wanting P.J. to do more. He has not been rushing out of the pocket. P.J. just has better pocket awareness. Yeah. It's easy. What What is the reason as to why you would start Baker if you want to win football games from here on out? And by the way, something that fans are very good to bring up very consistently, it's the whole 70% snap count thing that makes the draft pick go from a fifth to a fourth. It's not because they're even trying to play shenanigans behind the scenes as to not have that draft pick convey to a fourth rounder. It's just because Baker hasn't been good enough. I, I see no argument for Baker to start another football game for the Carolina Panthers, and it should be P.J. Walker. And if P.J. is struggling like he did against Cincinnati and you want to make that change, it's time to go back to Sam, who at least had a good month of football last year with Carolina. Yeah, I think, though, you know, even when you go to Sam, we talked about it ad nauseum here. I think he's just a turnover machine, and I think you're going to see a lot of the same from him. I just think from these guys, the only one that you really want to get a clear picture on is P.J. Walker. You want to see uh, what he can do if you give him the repetitions to get out there and show you. But other than that, this is a quarterback room that is average at best, and that is putting it politely. Uh, like you said, Baker Mayfield, you know, he gets out there. I just think his confidence is just down the drain at this point. Um, he's seen 
on the field, and he's seen by what these teams are showing him that they don't feel that he is a uh, starter-level NFL quarterback. Sam Donald's in the same boat as well. He knows that his time is ticking, and P.J. Walker knows that he needs to continue to show and prove to keep a spot uh, in the NFL at this point. So these are all guys that are playing for uh, different reasons, but really playing to stay in the league, stay on a roster, and show teams that they can play at least uh, a little bit. And so that's just unfortunate for the Carolina Panthers that that's the quarterback room that they have. Last thing we'll end on is the discrepancy between the defensive performance and the offensive performance because defensively can't ask for much more at all. I mean, this is a guy that has won an MVP award before in Lamar Jackson. He only had 30 yards. That was on 11 carries, by the way. So he had double-digit carries, and he had only 30 yards rushing. I thought, for the most part, they helped keep Kenyon Drake in check, had the big, long 30-yard run at the end of the game to basically seal it after the turnover. But this is a Carolina Panthers defense that, yes, they've had some trouble closing out games before, but there's no way I look at that side of the ball and say that's the reason they lost, which has to lead to a lot of frustration on that side of the ball, Wes. You've been in locker rooms before. You've been a part of teams where you might have one side be a little more productive than the other. I don't know. But I do know that we're seeing that with the Carolina Panthers right now. How frustrating does that get for the defense? And do you think there could be any animosity bred from that side because the offense isn't doing their job? Uh, yeah, for sure. Guys will come out and say the right things. They will say that, you know, we're all a team and this, that, and the third. But in reality, now, they may not outwardly show it to where they're going to say uh, disparaging comments to their brethren. But at the same time, amongst each other, you know, there, there will be smart comments made. Uh, there will be frustration <laughs> to be had. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Guys are going to sit around and say, you know, when they get home with their families around their confidants, so to speak, they're going to say, man, if the offense could just give us something, we would have won that game. Because, like I said, defensively, I didn't think the Panthers were going to come in and perform that well yesterday to Very where good. you keep Lamar Jackson in check. So then, I, as I said, it, it has to be frustrating. When you're in a game, you are a heavy underdog. Nobody gives you a chance. You're playing against an offense people expect to run all over you, and you come out and uh, – overperform, so to speak, and then the offense gives you absolutely nothing. Of course, there's going to be frustration. We'll, we will just never hear it. Think about how perfect you have to be if you're the defense. I mean, you have to score a defensive touchdown to give them a shot. Yes. J.C. Horn missed one tackle in this game, at least by my count at the end, right? I haven't watched every single snap, but this, the tackle that he missed happened against Kenyon Drake on the 29-yard run. Yeah. And that missed tackle led to Carolina, or I should say Baltimore, being in scoring position as soon as the Carolina offense turned it over with the Marcus Peters strip. That happens. J.C. Horn misses a tackle on Drake. Game over. One play, Wes. I mean, one missed tackle from still a very good football player, and we can argue about the difference of that, but still good football player at least, maybe not elite. Missed a tackle, bam, done. You, you have to be perfect. If you are the Carolina Panthers yeah. defense, and there's the frustration that you're talking about. Now, the about. tricky part, though, is when you're on a team that's this bad, as for every moment that they can go back and say, you didn't perform, the offense can go right back and point to moments as well. Like, they can say, well, Cincinnati game, the you guys didn't give be, us a chance. Well, the scales would be a lot heavier for the offense, though, I would say. There's a lot more weight. Yeah, in some ways, but they could still say, listen, there were games that we gave you guys more than enough points to win, and you didn't do that, like Atlanta, like uh, sure. Cincinnati. 
Uh, you know, they they've had their games this year where they weren't so great. There'd either. be a couple. There yeah. would there would definitely be a couple. I'd still say there'd be an overwhelming amount more for the defense to point to the offense. But you're right. Cincinnati was bad. Atlanta was one where they didn't get the job done by any stretch. And Carolina's offense actually was good enough to win. It was an outlier, but that certainly did happen. And so we can talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on. We need to get to some college football though because it was a wild weekend. We saw some upsets in the Carolinas. Georgia Tech beat the Tar Heels and South Carolina beat Tennessee. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. It's the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker live from the Spectrum Center, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It is the 12th annual Hornets Cornucopia event. They've partnered with Food Lion once again to provide a 1,000 Thanksgiving meals to families in need. Each meal is enough to feed about four people. 4,000 people can benefit from the event. The event starts at 1.30. We'll be out here until 3, so the event about to get underway here in just a moment. The staff, the team, they're all going to be out helping uh, hand out some of the food. You have the staples like mac and cheese. You have Dr. Pepper. You have different two liters that are going out. Corbre- uh, cornbread stuffing, I believe I can also read. Yeah, the, you the, read that? The, the, the cranberry sauce, which I think Colin had to go get a picture in front of. So we do have the cranberry. I've never had that in my life. I I have. I'm not a fan. Colin is about to fight us because of how angry he is with the cranberry sauce. There, there are a bunch of people that wrote in 704-570-9610, that cranberry sauce. That is the goat. And also there's different kinds, right, because you have the canned version where you have the ripples. It's the classic. You see it come out, and it forms. It has formed itself to what the can looks like, but you also have the homemade stuff. <laughs> what is the cranberry sauce that you are championing as Colin? There, there is only one king, and that is the ocean spray straight okay. out of the can with the ridges. That's the only <laughs> acceptable version. Let me – I just – I just think there's no Thanksgiving is complete without cranberry sauce. I think it has to be a part of Thanksgiving. And I really think people miss out if you don't incorporate it into your leftover turkey sandwiches. Um, do you wow. put it on anything else but turkey, or is it simply for the turkey? Is there anything else? Because I, I myself am a novice of cran- cranberry sauce. It, well, it really it really helps. Good old, you know, just mayonnaise, a little salt, pepper, turkey, and a, and a little, little cranberry sauce on top there. That's a good I will say the Thanksgiving sandwich, the turkey sandwich, is the best thing about the leftovers from Thanksgiving, in my opinion. Are you a big leftovers guy after Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah, I eat them for like three days. But I don't touch, uh, I don't do a turkey sandwich. I just eat the full meal over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving lasts for about yeah, a few. That's what I'm yeah, yeah, man. I'm a leftover guy for about three days after that. The, the only reason I don't do the cranberry sauce like that, I don't like sweet with my meals like that. I like all savory. It's not sweet and savory. It's only savory. As I've, you know, lost weight eating better and stuff like that, I do sweet potatoes more now. But that's about the only thing that I like as far as having something sweet Mm -hmm. with my meal. I like savory. But to answer your question, yeah, when I do leftovers, it's just straight a recreation of the meal that I had on Thanksgiving Day, however much is left. I, I like the bio for Wes Bryant being no sweet, all savory. Yeah. That's, I think that's a pretty good bio to put in your Twitter bio. That's what I want. 704-570. Yeah. You kind of like that. I heard it in the laugh. 704-570-9610. Yeah, all right. Enough Thanksgiving talk, at least for now. We'll have plenty of that as the week rolls on. Time now to visit the campus corner. And with that, we will go to an unfortunate loss for North Carolina fans 
as they fall to Georgia Tech 21 to 17 after a 17 to nothing start to this game for the Tar Heels Georgia Tech just kept battling they find themselves as the victors in this game and Drake May only finishes with 215 yards of total offense no touchdowns for Drake May only one interception but still very weird to see when he turns it over and doesn't have a touchdown and especially against Georgia Tech who's not even bowl eligible with the win after that victory how surprised were you to see North Carolina perform the way they did utter shock Okay, there's a time in Madden. I watch a lot of Madden tournaments and stuff like that. I'm in tune with the culture, and the kids call that a book when they <laughs> absolutely shut you down. Georgia Tech put a book on North Carolina. I did not expect this in a million years. As I said, I thought it was a ride. I'm going to eliminate that term from my vocabulary for the rest of the season because you remember I said I thought NC State was going to route Boston College. That's right. They get upset. Or maybe I'll say that when I want teams to lose. But listen, I'm watching that football game, and, you know, I'm just like, man, you know, I do work for the ACCDN on all platforms, and I'm doing my games, and I can't pay attention to this game like I want to. But once I'm able to, and then I go back and watch it the next day, I just saw how Georgia Tech came in. I said a lot this season that Drake May hardly ever gets hit. He hardly ever gets bothered in the pocket. Georgia Tech was after them the entire football game. They out-physicaled Carolina. Carolina broke some big runs at the beginning of the game. You think, here we go. They're just going to run it. But Keon White. Oh, my goodness, was he unblockable in that game. He was in Drake. Drake May probably woke up in the middle like, Kia! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Georgia Tech just came out. Uh, they ran the football. They just played really physical football against the Hills. They got after Drake May. And listen, Drake May was bound to have one of these type of games. At the end of the day, he's still a young guy. I didn't expect him to come out and hit everybody for 405 touchdowns. But I thought if you were to tell me he was going to have a game like this, I would probably point to and say it would be in the ACC championship championship game against a team like Clemson with as many experienced guys as they have but for him to have in this moment at home against Georgia Tech a team that they should have beaten like a drum I was in utter shock yeah I was surprised too especially with the start I mean 17 to nothing the yes. first play from scrimmage is an 80-yard rush and I think Mac Brown kind of talked about how that 80-yard rush and maybe even the 17 to nothing start made them a little lackadaisical as the season as mm -hmm. the game was going on where you think it's about to be a blowout and boom I mean North Carolina ends up getting beat at the end of the day you discuss the surprise of Drake May suffering Georgia Tech like this. The fact yeah. that this is where that game came in at the end of the day still had a chance to win it and Josh Downs dropped a touchdown catch. I mean, when the going got tough at the very end and it was winning time Drake May did deliver at the very end. Yeah. He threw on a 4th and 11 conversion attempt where, yeah, Drake May wasn't great for sure. That needs to be accounted for. Yes. But the very end, Josh Downs dropped mm -hmm. a pass in the end zone, and you could see him go to his knees, and then you could see the, the fetal position almost because of the way that he dropped it. And that was eventually the loss for North Carolina. Well, that was an issue as well that I think uh, that plagued them during that game. A lot of uncharacteristic miscues from that offense. And I think you hit it on the head, and I did not bring that point to the table, which that was another thing I said. I said Carolina was looking over these last two opponents. They looked at them as inferior because they those teams aren't able to score with them. They're looking at Charlotte in the ACC championship game. They felt that these last two games were a mere formality, but oh, no, no. Yeah. And then the ghost of ACC. ACC's pass, Tyson Pumachan, the Clemson 
transfer comes in there and is making plays for them in the run game. And then Hassan Hall was a, a pass for them as well, a Louisville transfer. So there were some guys that came from other ACC programs that got their get back on the Tar Heels as well. But I do feel that way about Carolina. I felt that this team got caught looking ahead all the national hype that they were getting, they weren't ready for it. This Georgia Tech team, like you said, that start rocked them to sleep. They thought that, hey, we got this. Georgia Tech had another thing coming. Let's go to the studio and hear from yes, the residential yes, Tar Heel fan yes. in one, Josh Fitty Marlowe, who was in attendance for this game alongside his buddy Flounder. And I imagine the drive home was not a very fun one. Fitty, what are your thoughts on the game? And what was the feeling leaving Chapel Hill? You know, for, I don't know, two, two, three weeks, y'all made fun of me for not being excited about this football team. We did. And Saturday proved why. Because I told you this team was a was a flawed team with an inflated record. You asked a 19-year-old kid to go out there and win you every game. And for the most part, he did. And Saturday, for the first time, Drake May looked like a redshirt freshman playing major Division One college football. But that's not that was not why Carolina got beat. They got beat because they got their ass kicked up front by an engineering school for the mm -hmm. second straight year. It's laughable. And if, 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 if Mac Brown is being honest with himself, you don't do it because the season's still going on. When you get done in Charlotte, you fire Brian Hess, you're straight, you're straight the conditioning uh, coach. Oh, I love it. And, and then Tim Cross, you leave that worthless ass in Charlotte, and, you, and he finds a way back to Chapel Hill because his defensive lines – have sucked for four years. Yeah, that is that is yes. all the fire that I was ready for. I also, oh, yeah. I do have the question of, was Fiddy just always going to be proven right, quote-unquote, if they lost one other game? Because you're basically asking Carolina to go undefeated at some point, but you still feel justified after this loss, and it was a bad one. There's no doubt about it. But does this feel like your victory lap around all the Heels fans because they did lose this one, and you've been trying to warn everybody for it for quite a while? Look, I've never been more upset to be more right in my life. But, <laughs> I mean, you could see this coming. They, they've played with fire ever since they won at Duke. A team that has a good record, but you should beat Duke by two touchdowns. You should have beaten Wake Forest by more than one score. Their inability to put teams away. And they had this game down 17 to nothing, and they still could put them away. At some point, it was going to come back and haunt them, and that's what happened on Saturday. I've never... I've never seen a, a, a woman leave my house more disappointed than I left that stadium Saturday evening. <laughs> All of the overstatements there from Fiddy, that might be the biggest one. Wes, you had some comments for him as he was making those points. Yeah, Fiddy, and I think you've been a little bit. I, the Duke game, I did not think, as you know, that I right? banged on the table for Duke. I didn't think Carolina, for one, it's a rivalry game. And for one, Duke's a quality football team with a really good quarterback. So I didn't expect Carolina to beat them down at all. Matter of fact, I picked Duke to win, and if it wasn't outside of a couple of mishaps late they would have same thing with Wake Forest because you can't give that caveat with the Hills with the way that defense has played all season long you are going to have to win by shootouts no matter who you were playing for the most part so I don't know if I agree with the talk that they should have beaten this team and that team by two touches I mean are you saying you're bringing Lawrence Taylor back or whoever it is you want to bring <laughs> Bonnie Holiday and the crew then yeah go. maybe I give you that but other than that no sir 
this is an arena league football team as far as how they play the game. They're going to outscore you. Well, I mean, and, and that's exactly how South Carolina played against Tennessee. How Woo! about their win? Immediately, too, 21 to nothing. Or not 21 to nothing, excuse me, but 21 points offensively in the first quarter for South Carolina, and they ended up scoring 63. Did Spencer Rattler just salvage his reputation with one performance against Tennessee the way that he performed against the Volunteers this weekend? Hell no. But, <laughs> however... I could. This was another game. Utter shock. And then you know when you watch these games, you're like, oh, they up early. Tennessee sleepwalking. They'll come back, especially when Tennessee got it to I believe 35 to 31. But I could tell early in that game when South Carolina was up on them, and it was a timeout. And Hendon Hook and the crew walked up to the coach. I could just tell by the look on their faces. They were like. They didn't know what it hit them. They thought that maybe they could get out of it easily because they're Tennessee, but it was not to be. And I did not mean to make that rhyme. But listen, I was in pure shock from what happened in this game. Tennessee season, uh, my man Hendon Hooker's Heisman, Rocky Top, Dolly Parton, Parton uh, Dolly World, all that went up in smoke after this loss, okay? Everything on fire. This was an absolute domination by South Carolina. Tennessee came in. This was another game. Tennessee caught up. Up, looking at the rankings, looking at the possibilities, thinking about the college football playoffs, and they came down to South Carolina and got boat raced by, yes, a lesser team. South Carolina fans, you can get mad all you want. You did win the game. You were the better team on that day. But in the grand scheme of things, Tennessee was the better football team. They had no business. If you're going to lose this game, let it be by a last-second field goal in dramatic fashion. But you did not go down there when you are the number five team in the country. You whacked Alabama and go down there and get beat like that by Spencer Rattler in South Carolina. I want to read Spencer Rattler's games coming into this one against Tennessee. The most he had thrown for was 200 total yards passing against Vanderbilt. The other games recently, 145 against Florida, 171 against Mizzou, 168 against Texas A&M. He threw for 438 yards, 10 more completions on just seven more attempts, six passing touchdowns on an 80% completion percentage. I, I don't know if there's ever been a more surprising performance given what we saw from Spencer the entire season compared to what he did against that opponent this weekend. Throwing the ball downfield, having all of the touchdown passes, making good decisions, a 97 QBR. The highest QBR he had posted recently was against Vanderbilt. That was a 60. I am just kind of in shock, as you've mentioned that a couple times, speaking of the Carolina teams. I'm in shock more so from Spencer Rattler performing the way he did against Tennessee. Yeah, he looked like the guy from QB1. He, he looked like the guy that was supposed to be the number one overall pick. He looked like all of those things. And that was another thing that was so surprising about the win was that Spencer Rattler showed this. I'm sure folks back at Oklahoma are saying, well, where was this guy? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and South Carolina fans most of this season have probably been saying, well, where was this guy? Where has he been? Ben. Uh, he came through and played elite football. We knew it was in there somewhere. Will he continue to play it? I don't think so, but we'll see going forward. Maybe this gives him the confidence he needs. I don't know that he'll ever get back to the perch that he was once on, right. but maybe this leads to him starting to play some at least 
top-level starter football. Spencer Rattler is the quarterback that is going to get an NFL team in trouble. I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to see that performance. Somebody's going to fall in love, and I understand why. And then you're going to get that once. Round. You're going to get that once in 17 games, <laughs> and then it's all going to come crashing down. That is the scariest QB I have ever seen, especially after that performance against Tennessee. But you know what? It happened against a pretty damn good opponent, and good for South Carolina. A good night to have a good and, night. And, and Shane Beamer deserves credit for the way that he's been able to rally the South Carolina team, especially with a win like that. Pretty awesome to see yes. what's happening down in Columbia, despite some of the struggles, right? Like, it's not been, oh my God, this is crazy with Rattler, what he's been doing. He had the one game, and everywhere else they've been getting by. So, good job by South Carolina and Shane Beamer. We skipped it last time. We had to go to Fred Whitfield, but we're not going to do it this time. We're going to go back to the studio and go to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, guys, we got a, a couple of different news items coming out. First off, the Denver Broncos, their season continues to spiral out of control. They just waived veteran running back Mavell, uh, Melvin Gordon after a, a, he had a costly fumble in yesterday's home loss to the Raiders. Also, some news that will involve the Hornets. They play the 76ers the day before Thanksgiving, and they will not have to face Joel Embiid. He will miss the next two games with a left foot mid-sprain. So the Hornets do get a relief as they get a couple days off, and they don't and they don't have to face a guy that has owned them the last two to three years the day before Turkey Day, guys. Uh, there, there's a few guys that are just absolute nightmare matchups for Charlotte. Jarrett Allen is one. He's always been a guy that just destroys them. But if you're talking about superstar players, Joel Embiid, even more than a Jokic, who's also destroys them, right? Joel Embiid, he is the exact thing you draw up to say, okay, this is what I, I need to use to swat this Hornet away. And the fact that he's not going to play, you would have more hope if they'd had more than four wins this season. Still, Philadelphia has some talent that they're working with, but remember, no Tyrese Maxey for them, yes. James Harden. So a lot of talent that Philadelphia is missing out on. Perhaps this is something that they can take advantage of here at the Spectrum Center and maybe pounce on a very hurt 76ers team as the Charlotte Hornets themselves are a very hurt team. Oh, for sure. I mean, when you saw this, that gives you a little bit of hope. We were just talking about during the break when, indeed, he will be uh, when indeed the Hornets will get their next victory, maybe against a depleted Philadelphia 76ers team. But listen, Joel Embiid, as you said, monster, averaging 28 and 12 against the Hornets for his career. So that will be missing from their lineup. I'm sure they will miss that. Uh, and Maxi, another guy on the perimeter right. that could hurt the Hornets. So maybe this is where their next win comes. Hopefully the guys take that. Not that you want to get excited about guys getting hurt, but just them saying, hey, we got an opportunity here, especially with them coming off of some rest. Uh, and being able to get back out there against the Sixers. Reality is this is a shot for the Charlotte Hornets, and they need to capitalize with the way they've dug themselves in this hole. Now, here at the Spectrum Center, we're live. It's the Wesson Walker Show. We'll be with you until 3 p.m., but the Cornucopia event is underway. We now have people walking through the lobby. I see Gordon Hayward, Jalen McDaniels, Mason Plumley. There's Dell with the beanie handing out some food. Very cool to see the Charlotte Hornets, even Steve Clifford. I think the entire team is here right now handing out food. As people start to roll through the Spectrum Center, we'll keep you updated on everything happening, not only with the Charlotte Hornets, but throughout the city. Willie P. going to be joining us live from Romar Beard and Park as he discusses what is happening around the city regarding the World Cup. And there's a Charlotte FC watch party. we get to that in just a moment. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. We are live from the Spectrum Center for the Hornets' 12th annual Cornucopia event. And everybody from the Charlotte Hornets, whether it be a part of the coaching staff, whether it be an actual player, everybody is helping hand out some of the 1,000 meals that they have prepared, which each of those meals helping feed families of four. So 4,000 people being benefited from this process. And people are rolling in right now. Everybody that is working the event, helping carry out some of these bags for families in need so very cool to be a part of and we're broadcasting once again from the main lobby here at the spectrum center let's now go to somewhere else in charlotte we're all over wfnz we are well represented today we're going to go to willie p live at romar beard and i see the, i hear the music bumping a little bit willie p are you dancing out at romar beard and park right now on site i mean they have got quite a turnout here all right, Walker, uh, we're here for the opening game for U.S. in the World Cup. Uh, Charlotte FC has done a watch party that uh, really has exceeded, I think, anybody's expectations in terms of a turnout. And they're getting hyped for this game between the U.S. and Wales. Uh, it'll start here in about 20 minutes. Yeah, Willie P., what are some of the cool things going on over there at Romar Bearden? Well, one of the first things that I can tell you is uh, news you can hear first here on WFNC. Uh, Joe Labou, the president, has just announced that they're going to once again open the entire stadium at Bank of America Stadium for the home opener next year. He says it's more than much going to be in the opening weekend of the season. Uh, they don't have an appointment necessarily yet or a firm date on that time, but uh, he's basically announced that they will do $15 upper bowl tickets that will go on sale beginning on Black Friday. And uh, a lot of people excited about that because when Charlotte FC did that a year ago, they set a MLS attendance record of 74,000 plus inside that stadium. So a lot of great excitement, not only for what's coming up this next season, but obviously with uh, a lot of people here in red, white, blue, very eager to see what the U.S. can do to try and open its account here in the 2022 World Cup. Willie P. joining us live from Romar Bearden Park in the city of Charlotte. You know, Willie, I do have a question for you because I know Sir Minty is present. Do you think Sir Minty is indeed the king of Charlotte sport mascots, or would you give that award to somebody like Hugo, who might be within an earshot here as we're broadcasting, just telling you? I don't know if I can speak for Sir Minty, but I don't want <laughs> Hugo does not want Sir Minty smoke. Oh, okay. Right wow. Okay, that's impressive. I, I, I hope that he didn't hear it because Hugo, I imagine, would have something for Sir Menti as well. Oh, yeah, no doubt, man. It, they're both legendary mascots, but Hugo is always going to be the guy in the city for me. So, Willie P., uh, I was going to ask you, man, West Bryant, soccer aficionado for the next couple <laughs> weeks here. <laughs> no, but I was going to ask you, so the best U.S. men have ever finished was third in the World Cup, and that was in 1930. But they're talking about how now that the soccer programs in the U.S. have changed, has gotten more like overseas as far as we're bringing kids up from a younger age, and, you know, kids are going away from maybe the college soccer, the elite players, and starting to get into programs. So how close are we? What should we expect from the U.S., and how close are we to being a real contender in this thing? Well, I do feel like they can be a contender to get to the knockout stage. It all kind of depends on what happens today against Wales because this is kind of the swing game of the three that they will play during the group stage. England's a squad that came out very impressive in their first matchup against Iran. I think Iran is probably the fourth-best team in this group. And right now it kind of hinges on whether or not Wales or the U.S. could get out of this knockout stage. And once you get out of the knockout stage, literally anything can happen. It turns into, you know, how, how the draw plays out for you. I do feel like 
They are maybe one World Cup away from being a legitimate contender for a title. But like I said before, anything can happen in this tournament depending on the draw. Now, due to the game FIFA Street, that made me become a big fan of Brazil because they always have great players and I always love the guys that they have on that team. We know what they produce out of that country. They seem to be the overwhelming favorite in this tournament. They talk about the depth and how this is just really their tournament to lose. How do you feel about that and how special is this Brazil team? Yeah, basically the two teams that people have come out and big supported uh, in terms of the favorites, it's been both Brazil and Argentina. People think that this is going to be kind of lined up with the stars aligning for Lionel Messi to uh, to get a World Cup and basically what might be his last appearance in the World Cup. Uh, but I, I, I'd rather go with Brazil. I think Brazil is stacked. They've got players all over the place. they got they got guys on their bench that could start for any one of these teams in the World Cup. So in my opinion, I'd go with Brazil just because I feel like they have more uh, star power and stack nature. But I was talking about this with, uh, with our boss, Jeff, earlier today, is that you can have all the talent in the world, but you have to have the final product. And sometimes there are teams that can nick a goal and, you know, play back and, and take down a team and be a giant killer. So it's very interesting to see how this will play out for not only U.S., but also some of these other teams who have the wealth of expectations thrust upon them for this once in every four years tournament. Well, Willie, being the voice of Charlotte FC, you know, how much have you seen the growth of soccer fandom in the city because of the very presence of Charlotte FC here in the city? I think it was always kind of there, but they just never had the proper outlet to really express themselves. And that's not trying to slight uh, Charlotte Independence or Stumptown or any of the other teams that have proceeded here, but the MLS it does mean something when it comes to, to what soccer means in this country now. And I do feel like as a result, we've seen that more personified with everything we've seen from Charlotte FC. And every event they've done, I, I have to be honest with you, I've kind of always underestimated or, or had lower expectations for a crowd. I have to stop doing that because they've literally filled the entire grass here at Romare Beard Park. So I, I'm 100% thrilled that we now have this in the city and, and going into year number two, I can't imagine how much it's more going to grow uh, as a result of that first year momentum. That is the voice of Willie P, the voice of Charlotte FC, out at the Charlotte FC World Cup watch party at Romar Beard and Park. Free entry, as we mentioned, Sir Minty will be present. The mascot that Willie said will give all of the smoke to Hugo, but we don't have to bring that up with the mascot in our presence. It's Willie P once again. Thank you so much, man, for helping us out. I do want to get a video of you dancing if that is all on the table <laughs> we'll see if they get a goal we got to get a goal first all right all right that's fine that's what we'll do all right that's willie p they'll open this out again from romar beard and park a big thanks to him for joining us on the broadcast it's the weston walker show we're out at the spectrum center i'm sure you can hear we have a whole bunch a bunch of background noise going on but that's because so many different people are either at the watch party or they're here at the cornucopia event the 12th annual cornucopia event the hornets have put on we're having a lot of people walk through right now the whole team the whole charlotte hornets 
Hornets team right now is handing out food along with the coaching staff. So very cool to see and be a part of WFNZ, Charlotte Hornets. Great partnership here. Not only are we trying to help out as much as we can with the Cornucopia event, but the Hornets are going to reciprocate that when we give you our Street Turkeys event. And we're going to be live at the Jack Daniels Doghouse on Wednesday when that event is going on. So this is going to be a very much so philanthropic week here for WFNZ and the Charlotte Hornets. So very cool to have that partnership underway this week, the week of Thanksgiving. We'll take a quick break. One more hour to go before we bring it to the Kyle Bailey Show. It's Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.